Good evening and God's blessings to uh, all of you who are listening in this evening. It's my sincere prayer that you'll hear God's word and be reminded of his goodness for you, his love for you. Um, even in these sort of strange and uh, desperate times, there's no stranger, uh, no stranger sensation you can imagine, I suppose, than standing in a sanctuary with no people hoping that there are folks out there who are listening. Um, this is a bit experimental, and I hope that you'll bear with us in patience um, and stick with it over these next couple of weeks. Uh, just to reiterate the plan here at Concordia, it is uh, to not hold any services of any kind um, here at Concordia for the next two weeks, trying to uh, accommodate the suggestions given by the government to uh, slow down the spread of coronavirus, doing our part to help love our neighbors um, especially those who are weakest and most in need of, in need of our help. Um, so as we do that, my biggest concern is that all of the folks who are used to coming here to hear God's word will continue to hear God's word. Uh, and to that effect, to that end, I will be um, preaching and conducting the liturgy here as usual on Wednesday evenings and Sunday mornings with the hopes that you'll be able to listen in live on our website. And if you can't listen in at the time, uh, that it normally occurs, you can listen in afterwards. If you or anyone you know uh, has trouble with this or um, has any difficulty listening in, please, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, call me. My cell phone is 507-421-8224. You can find that contact information on the website, the church website. Call the church office. Send me an email. Let me know. I want to uh, take every opportunity to give everyone uh, a chance to continue to hear God's word. In addition, um, if there are any particular needs, um, please let me know whether those are physical needs, um, needs of the body that people are experiencing, um, and especially spiritual needs. Um, it will be my great, great privilege to provide pastoral care for anyone who needs it in these times, and, um, including, of course, uh, the Lord's Supper. I will gladly bring the Lord's Supper to anyone who desires it, and it would be my, my great joy. Um, look forward, uh, desperately look forward to um, the hope that we can come back to church on Sunday, April 5th, Palm Sunday. That's the plan right now. We will uh, continue to monitor the situation and um, come back to church as soon as it is uh, within reason to do so. For, uh, in, for future services, I hope to uh, be able to put a copy of the service, the liturgy with the hymns and the music and the readings on the website so that you can look at them while you are listening. Um, expect that for this Sunday. And for tonight, bear with me, we'll be doing the service of Vespers if you have a hymnal. It's on page 229. Um, you know some of the melodies for those of you who sung it before. We'll be saying Psalm 130 at the point of the psalm. And for our hymn tonight, we're singing just one hymn. We're singing hymn number 439. O dearest Jesus, what law hast thou broken? Number 439. Uh, that hymn has 15 verses, so we'll be singing five verses at a time at the various parts of the service. We'll begin then with the first five verses of hymn number 439. O dearest Jesus, what law hast thou broken?
continue with the service of Vespers. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ, Lamb of our The psalm for this evening is Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the soul. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Continue with verses 6 through 10 of hymn number 439.
reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, and the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead, and David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Deliver me, O Lord my God, for you are the God of my salvation. Rescue me, me from my enemies. Protect me from those who rise against me. Deliver me, O Lord my God, for you are the God of my salvation. Rescue me from my enemies, protect me from those who rise against me. In you, O Lord, do I put my trust, leave me not, O Lord my God. Rescue me from my enemies, protect me from those who rise against me. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That's a proverb of Solomon, David's son, the son born to Bathsheba after the son we heard about in today's story. After he died, David 
went in to comfort Bathsheba, and she bore a son, and his name was Solomon, though the Lord called him, the Lord called him Jedidiah. The Lord called him Jedidiah, and David called him Solomon. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That's what Solomon says. I can't imagine there was any way David would take this discipline lightly. It's good to review where we are in the story. Two weeks ago, we heard from 1 Samuel about Saul and his unwillingness to repent, his unwillingness to acknowledge his sin, much less to receive discipline and correction from the Lord. He fell deeper and deeper, and his heart grew harder and harder, and the kingdom was taken away from him. And it was given to David, a man after God's own heart. Last week we heard, however, that David was not free from sin, to say the least. His imagination for vice and cruelty are gut-wrenching. But when confronted with his sin, he did not harden his heart. He repented. He did not hide it, he did not excuse it, he did not justify himself. He acknowledged his sin, and he knew. He knew that he deserved to die. And God pardoned him. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die, said the prophet Nathan. But although David would not suffer the most grievous penalty for his sin, he had not lost God's favor and he would not suffer eternal death. Nonetheless, there would be discipline. Nathan told him that there would be discipline. God delivers discipline personally, individually, like a father disciplines his son, according to what is needed in order to teach us to fear, love, and trust in him. It is something that God does to us, we often think about the natural consequences of sin, that if you sin, something bad may happen to you, as though the world is sort of booby-trapped with bad consequences for sins. And that's true to some degree. There are natural consequences for different actions. We saw it last week when David slept with Bathsheba. What happened? She became pregnant. It was a natural consequence, and in his case, it was a natural consequence of his sin. But when we talk about natural consequences, we often lose sight of the fact that it is God who disciplines. Every natural consequence for sin comes at the hand of God. And there is much discipline that God applies to us, apart from nature, directly, because he loves us, and because he wants to teach us to fear, love, and trust in him. And so, although David would not suffer the most grievous penalty for his sin, he would not lose God's favor and he would not suffer eternal death. Nonetheless, there would be discipline. Nathan said, Because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who was born to you, who is born to you, shall die. And that is what happened in our lesson today. Now, there are lots of questions that a person might have about this. There are lots of questions that came up as I was meditating on this story, and here are two that come to mind right away. First, if David was sorry, if he was sorry for his sin, 
Why did he still need to be disciplined? And the second question is this. If it was David who needed discipline, how can it possibly be right for his child to die? How can it be possibly be right for his child to die when it was David who should have died? The first question is easier, and it's helpful. It's a helpful question because it gets us thinking about what discipline is for. Discipline causes pain. It hurts. And it's meant to. Because that is how pride is broken. It is how humility is formed. Discipline takes away from you your sense of control over your life and its outcomes. It teaches you that you are answerable for your actions to one who is holy and righteous. It reminds you that the Lord is the one who gives, and the Lord is the one who takes away. It does all of that in a way that words, all by themselves, cannot. You can agree, hypothetically, in theory, you can agree that you are not master of your own fate. But until the things that you take for granted are gone, until they've gone from you, until you have them no more, you don't really know what that means, what it means not to be master of your own fate. You can agree that you are answerable for your actions, that you are sinful and that God is holy, but until your self-righteousness, the self-righteousness that lurks deep in your heart, until that's exposed, you don't really know what it means for God to be holy and for you to be sinful. You can agree that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But until he has taken away, you don't really know what that means. And that is why death comes to us all. Death is the last stroke of discipline. It breaks your pride. It humbles you. And it teaches you to the very end to fear, love, and trust in God. That is why the Lord disciplined David, even though he was sorry. In David's sin, he showed that his flesh was still alive and well. His flesh needed to be put to death so that a new man could live before God. That is why God disciplined David, and that is why God disciplines us. You should not shy from thinking that the things that you suffer in your life are discipline. They may or may not be in direct proportion to this or that sin as it was for David, but you are subject to discipline nonetheless because you still have your sinful flesh that needs to be put to death. You shouldn't shy from thinking that the things you suffer are discipline, that God is giving them to you for a reason, for your good, to temper you, to sharpen you. It's amazing how that realization changes things. When bad things happen, when you suffer, do you feel as though it is senseless? As though it's some accident of nature or just bad luck? Do you feel like you can't understand why this would be happening to you? It happens. You suffer because you have a Heavenly Father who loves His children. And so He disciplines them. You have a Heavenly Father who loves you. And so He disciplines you. That is how he can even use the consequences of sin and evil in this world. He can use even those terrible things for the good of his children. God can take the death of a child, even the death of a child, which on its face is nothing but terrible and the result of sin in this world. God can take that and he can put it to use for good. He redeems it 
so that it is not senseless or in vain. And how he uses it is often for discipline. Which leads us to the second question, which is much harder. If David needed discipline, how can it be right? How can it be just for his child to die in his place? There are two parts to this answer. And the first part concerns God's love for that child. This is incredibly important. God does not do evil things. He does not commit acts of wickedness. What God does, he does out of love. God is love. And that means that as much as the whole story is an utter tragedy, God was working it together for the good even of David's child. God did not commit some injustice. He did not abuse the child, exploiting him like a pawn for some greater purpose. While God was disciplining David, at the very same time that he was doing this one thing for David, in the same way, at the same time, in a way that is beyond our comprehension, he was also showing his great love for that child. We can't see it, but we know it, because he is a heavenly father who loves his children. We get a glimpse of that when we understand that for the saints of God, as Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We get a glimpse of the good that God does even in death when we understand that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The second part of the answer to this question, this question of how it can be right for David's child to die in his place. The second part of the answer concerns God's love for David. Why should the child die for David's sin? Imagine what an impact it had on David. David, who was in desperate straits. David, who repented and needed to bear fruit in keeping repentance. Imagine what it ha an impact it had on David, knowing that while he would not die for his sin, someone else would, knowing that his child died as a substitute. Who could not learn from this the gravity of sin, the terror of God's wrath, and the desperate need for God's mercy? You saw the lesson David was learning as he lay there on the ground, weeping and praying and fasting and refusing to eat. He learned then the desperate need for God's mercy. Who could not learn from this? The great cost of pardon. David saw, clear as day, the words spoken by God at Mount Sinai, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. David saw that it was not just his own life at stake, but the lives of his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. And if he believed that, if David understood that, if he felt the reality of these words of God, then he could also understand God's word of favor. That though he punishes for three and four generations, he also shows love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. This was no trifling matter. It was not a game for God. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. The purpose was love. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And the goal was love not just for David, but for his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and on for a thousand generations. Who takes that seriously? Who believes 
that God blesses generations beyond imagination for the faithfulness of parents. Who can comprehend that? David gained understanding. He gained wisdom when he saw his child die. He learned that God means what he says. And that is how he could understand and believe God's promises. God means what he says. David is an example for us of how to repent, and he is also an example of how to receive discipline. Notice how his behavior baffled his servants. He grieved and wept and fasted and prayed and lay all night on the ground while the child lived. And when the child died, he was done. He rose, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord to worship. When they wondered why he acted that way, he explained, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Those are the words of someone who believes that whatever God does is good. They are the words of someone who is submitting his will to the will of his heavenly Father. They are the words of someone who is being disciplined and who is not regarding it lightly and is not wearied by it, but believes that that discipline is an act of mercy and love. That it is painful for a time, but later it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline is painful for a time, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so David worships the God who disciplines him. He worships the God who causes him pain. He worships and receives his discipline with thanksgiving. That is something worth praying for. It is something counterintuitive, something that we struggle to think of, to pray that when God disciplines us, we receive it with thanksgiving. To pray that God would discipline us as a father who loves his son disciplines. It is worth praying that when you are disciplined by God, you receive it with thanksgiving. That does not mean that you relish it, but that you'll endure it without bitterness and in faith. Trusting that the Lord who reproves his children is the same Lord who rescues and delivers them from every trouble and will not let any evil befall them. Everything that God does, he does for your good. I said a few weeks ago that a key to understanding these stories is to see Jesus in them. And Jesus is everywhere in this story. To see him... I think it helps to picture him, to picture Jesus, kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll hear that in just a few weeks. Kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. Jesus, even more so than David, was about to undergo something beyond imagination in its dread, painful beyond comprehension. Jesus would suffer rebuke and reproof and discipline at the hands of his heavenly Father. He'd be disciplined for sins that he did not commit. And Jesus was a new and better David. Jesus prayed earnestly and faithfully 
sweating drops of blood, believing that whatever God does is good, submitting his will to the will of his heavenly Father. Not my will be done, but yours, he cried. He endured discipline for sins he did not commit, not regarding it lightly and not being wearied by it, but believing that it was an act of mercy and love. Not an act of mercy and love aimed at him, but an act of mercy and love aimed at you. He endured that discipline, believing that his heavenly Father is love, because he wanted that love for you. He believed that though it was painful for a time, later this discipline would yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The life that you have in Christ is that peaceful fruit of righteousness. The life that you have by faith in the Son of God yielded, was yielded to you by his enduring, by Jesus enduring God's discipline. Because Jesus endured discipline, indeed the most grievous penalty for your sin. In fact, because he was your substitute, like that son of David was a substitute for him. Because he was your substitute, an innocent life for the life of the guilty, a son suffering for the sin of his father Adam and for the sins of his whole family. Because he did that, because he took your place, you can be sure that whatever God gives you is good. You can be sure that as you make your way through this life, you are being shaped and formed, even as you are disciplined. You are being made into the image of Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice even in your discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll continue by singing... Hymn 938, hymn 938, in peace and joy I now depart.
it's at this time in the service that we would normally collect the offering, and I'll just take a moment to urge you, even as I urge you to be steadfast in your study of Scripture, your devotion to God's Word and your prayers, be steadfast also in your generosity, uh, supporting the work of the church, and also being especially mindful of the needs of your brothers and sisters around you. Uh, remember that everything that God has given you, your money included, is a gift meant for your stewardship to be put to use for the good of your neighbor. And so use, use your gifts for love. We continue now with the Kyrie. in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, hear my prayer, and let my cry come to you. Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let your blessing remain upon seed time and harvest, O Lord, the commerce and industry, the leisure and rest of our people. Take under your special protection those whose work is difficult or dangerous, and be with all who put their hands to any useful task. Guide those who are in particular distress during these days. Give to everyone the just rewards for their labor and the knowledge that their work is a blessing in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Preserve our nation in justice and honor and grant us peace. Grant health and favor to all in our land and to those who bear office, especially the President and Congress of the United States, the Governor and Legislature of this state, and all those who make, administer, and judge our laws. Help them to serve their people according to your holy will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We conclude by singing verses 10 through 15 of O Dearest Jesus, What Law Hast Thou Broken?
God's peace and blessings to you. Thank you for listening in. I pray that God's word will continue to strengthen and encourage you in the faith and in love towards your neighbors, especially in these times. I'm so encouraged by the confidence that I hear from so many about God's goodness, that even in the face of pestilence and terror and disease, uh, we have no fear because we have a shepherd who leads and guides us to, uh, to still waters and in green pastures. And that is a wonderful thing for which I thank God uh, that, that so many are confident with that faith. Uh, please do attend to God's word and listen again on Sunday um, at 9 a.m. or afterwards uh, for the recording and uh, join in the worship as you are able. God bless you.